You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Today on the podcast is the very definition of a multi hyphenate. Chris Eli Black is an actor, writer, poet, producer, and he shares not only his journey as an artist, but how theater can be a cause for change. I'm your host, Patrick Oliver-Jones, and welcome to another episode of Why I'll Never Make It, featuring conversations with fellow artists on the realities of a career in the entertainment industry. That website, whyillnevermakeit.com. In recent weeks, one of those realities of theater has been the issue of race and how that shows up in casting, producing, writing, and the overall creation of theater pieces. And today's episode actually came about in a rather unusual way. For the most part, I reach out to artists that I know, maybe ones that I know through friends of mine. But in this case, Chris actually reached out to me. He discovered the podcast, liked what he heard, and he wanted to come on the podcast as an African-American writer talking about the specific challenges that he faces in getting his work out there. Chris may only be 21 years old, but he has a wisdom well beyond his years. In the fall, he'll begin his senior year at the University of Southern Mississippi. (laughs) But one thing that Chris is certainly not indecisive about is how he wants his career to take off. In this year alone, he's either published or produced five plays, two monologues, and one performance piece. Last year, he did his first short film, The Brothers Survivor as both screenwriter and producer. But as I mentioned, Chris is also a poet, and since 2016, he's taken part in four poetry slams and has won two of them. So Chris is certainly not sitting back and waiting for his career to find him. But while achieving all of this success, it has certainly not been easy sailing for him. Chris has gone through his own share of ups and downs. In fact, he and I were texting a couple of days ago, and he opened up to me about how one year ago today, his life had hit its lowest point. He found himself confused about everything, his purpose, his goals, his life. He was lost, to say the least. And he was very thankful for this chance to have a conversation, 
share his journey. And he ended that text by saying, what change a year can make. But just as time can change us and hopefully improve us, sometimes we keep coming back to the same issues over and over again. Our country is facing that right now with regards to race and the many aspects that it affects our daily lives. Theater in particular is trying to confront this when it comes to the different voices that are represented not only on stage, but behind the scenes. And that is just one of the subjects that we talk on today. But we start off appropriately at the beginning and what it was that drew Chris into performing and the art of storytelling. Yeah, because I remember seeing Psycho as a young age, and for years I was scared to be in a shower alone. I was I was always looking. <laughs> oh my gosh! Yeah. Did she ever tell you what what sparked that intuition in her? Ha, <laughs> 
Oh, I like this. <laughs> because before then, had you ever been on stage or done any type of performing of any kind? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Right. <laughs> when you started to write as well as act, were you writing mostly for for yourself or for your friends, or were you writing with kind of a bigger thought in mind? Right.
Yeah, with with issues of race being so prominent right now, do you see yourself as, as a voice to to address these kind of issues? Do the Right Thing came out in 1989 and was produced, written, and directed by Spike Lee. He even received an Oscar nomination for Best Original Screenplay. The story explores a Brooklyn neighborhood simmering racial tension, and the film culminates in violent unrest and a death, a story that is all too familiar even now, 30 years later. In 2014, Spike Lee gave an interview with the Huffington Post about the film's impact and its long-standing legacy. Right. Mm-hmm. Whether in movies, theater, or music, the arts have a special knack for creating empathy. And I think it's one of the strongest ways to make society see injustices and, consequently, to make change. 
It brings people together from various backgrounds and political ideologies, financial statuses, religious beliefs. And it is in this coming together that there are opportunities for learning, awareness, persuasion, communing, and mobilizing for change. Whether it's a documentary film like Blackfish on animal cruelty, or Philadelphia talking about the AIDS crisis, visual storytelling always has an impact. And it was a 17-year-old on her phone that caught the horrific footage of George Floyd's killing. That footage has stirred a nation and created an uprising. We're all watching the news. What's the latest? What's, what's going to happen? So how can the arts be a part of that conversation? How can they be a cause for change? Getting back to something that you said, and, and I've heard this from others, that it's so important to see whether it's, it's your own race, your sexuality, your gender. When you see yourself on stage or on screen, it really is impactful to think, oh, I can be like that. I can do that. That is something that is within my future and possibility. Right. And you had mentioned that high school was just a few years ago. You're, you're still a young man, just kind of starting out in your journey of, of, of acting and writing. And you're still in college right now, right? Have you been able to, to narrow your classes to structure it toward creative writing? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I think that's so important, whether you're you're on stage, whether you're behind the scenes. Uh, us as creative people, we have to be more than just our own insular selves. We have to see the world. We have to see others, as you talk about, hear and know those other stories to see what what's kind of come before us and where we are in the moment and where we want to go. I assume that those types of things have influenced the subjects and people, characters that you write about. Yeah, yeah. Some of my most favorite movies, especially independent movies, are ones where it's like two or three people. They're 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 talking. They're one of my favorites. Uh, Before sunrise, it's two people walking around a European city, and they're just kind of meandering from one subject to the next. But in that, they're learning about each other. They're they're kind of coming together, and an attraction forms, and it's just a very simple but elegant story about conversation. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they just kept going. They just kept going. So, so, so simplicity is sometimes much better than, you know, these huge films that we get. You've been able to get into different festivals and, and have your work start to get out there and have that sense of, okay, it's been on stage, it's been in front of people. What is that process like getting it from the written word to the spoken word, getting it produced?
Yeah. Right. That's the, the writer's equivalent of actors pounding the pavement, you know, going to auditions. You're constantly looking for ways to submit your work. And so in those interpretations that you were talking about, as you hand over your written word to directors and producers, obviously there have been some of those interpretations that you didn't think about. It's like, oh, well, that's a different way to look at it. I like that. And then there have been other times where I would assume that you disagreed with that interpretation. How have you balanced both of those? <laughs> <laughs> right. It's a pep rally, not a poetry rally. <laughs> oh, goodness. Brilliant. Yeah. Ugh. Oh, I, as as an actor, fellow actor, I am just, uh, I'm just sinking with you. My spirit is it aches for you it, being in those kind of situations. And it wasn't just like you're up on stage and no one's really paying attention. No, this is something you wrote and you're alone. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Right. Right. It's just awkward. It's uncomfortable. And you just want to crawl into a hole. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, oh. Now, in addition to the plays, as you've mentioned, you've also gotten to do uh, short films. That's kind of where, where you got started in, in your writing career. And so how do you find the difference writing for film and stage? Yeah. Do you find looking for ways to submit also different for film as opposed to stage? Is, is one easier than the other? Hmm. And then there's also the cost of you have to actually make the film in order to submit it, whereas for a play festival, you just have a script and you're done. Right, just just do it. Just use it. <laughs> I mean, because as I hear that story, yeah, the financial aspect of it may not have cost a lot, but certainly the time, the energy, the phone calls, the going to these different locations, the asking people permission, it sounded like a lot of uh, a lot went on behind the scenes, which I can see why you'd be proud of the end result.
with your own family life and your upbringing, do you find that you infuse a lot of your personal life into your writings? Yeah, I think you speak to something that's very important because a lot of times we can get caught up in the labels of who a person is, you know, whether their their skin color, their sexuality, their, their financial status, these kind of things can label us. Yet deep down, as you said, we're we're all looking for acceptance. We're all looking to to find our purpose in life. We're all looking for these these greater goals that that kind of exist throughout humanity, not just in one particular culture or subculture.
as I was going through the various writings of Chris, one really stuck out to me, and it is something that he and I share in common. Neither of us grew up with a father in the home. And he wrote a monologue called Like Father, Like Son that specifically dealt with that paternal absence. The monologue was featured on the Log Lounge with host Malachi Rivers. That's short for Monologue Lounge. A link to Malachi's performance of the monologue can be found in the show notes. Needless to say, this is a very personal piece for Chris and caused him to go out of his normal comfort zone when it came to writing. As you were writing it, was it just for that moment, that monologue, or did you see it being able to expand upon it and, and grow into a larger piece?
Yeah. Yeah, I'm curious as you tell that story because I, I had a single mother as well who, who who did a lot, and I never really knew everything that she did. I had everything I wanted. It, it, I was I grew up, you know, very very happy with where we lived. You know, not knowing that she was, you know, trying to just make make the rent and make sure that the rent stayed low so that we could stay where we were, so we weren't having to move. And you know, she was able to go from apartment into the house we had because she she talked to the landlord and different things like that that she did to make our lives better. And so for a lot of it, even though I didn't have a father, I never really, you know, I, I wanted a father. I wanted a brother as well because I was an only child. I, I wanted this family, but I, I never really felt like I missed out on something. And it wasn't until I got older that that lack of father started to show itself. And I'm wondering if, as you've gotten older, if that lack of a father has shown up in any way for you. Yeah.
Yeah. Yeah, my my grandparents on my mother's side were the, were the same. My I was my grandmother's little angel, and I and I knew it. I felt loved. I felt you know, it, and I would go there every other weekend so that my mother could work on the weekends because she 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 fortunate was fortunate to just have one job my my whole time growing up. So at least she had that. But to send me to school to to do all the things, and and we would go on vacations to Florida. You know, she wanted me to have the best childhood life that, that I could have. And I know that she sacrificed a lot of her own wants and needs so that I could have that. You know, so th those weekend times with my grandparents were always great. They, they really took a, a large role of that parenting as well as my mom. And speaking to that deflection, as you called it, but it really is, it really is a, it, it is a balance of knowing that Yes, you know, having that that quote unquote nuclear family, mother, father, the children, the the home life, the you know that that settled kind of uh, wonderful ideal family is is certainly something to to look toward and be like, well, what could have been? But at the same time, the 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 struggles, the highs, the lows, everything that came from our life is who we are. And so, we, as you say, we, we would be different people had those men been in our lives, and for, for good or bad, and it could have gone either way. And so I think that was something I was around, I was around the age of 30 or so. I, I was in Orlando. I had just gone through a divorce, and I was watching, I don't know if you saw the movie Road to Perdition with Tom Hanks. And so that was very much about that father-son relationship, too. And it was, I can't remember the scene exactly, but I remember my reaction. I'm sitting there just watching the movie. I'm alone in my apartment. And just something that Tom Hanks did, I was like, I never saw, I never had a father to do that. And it just... It hit me in that moment when I was 30. That's like, this is what I missed. And, and it was, it's even hitting me now. It's kind of crazy. <laughs> um, but it was, it was just a moment. And I'd never really, as a child, never really addressed it. But in that moment, it finally hit me that, oh, this is what really having a father means. This is what you miss out on. And... And so from there, I think that was when I was able to finally start to process being an only child, being a single child, uh, have, you know, having a single parent. And I think that in, in some ways, in some ways I, I was able to be grateful for what I had because I realized, okay, I didn't have that, but here's what I did have. And I was able to find a, even a bit more gratitude for what my mother did.
Chris's writings have not only been in the dramatic setting of theater or films. He's also written essays that deal specifically with issues of race. One in particular surrounds the controversy of some theaters choosing to produce hairspray with all-white casts. One specific example happened in 2012 in Plano, Texas. The Plano Children's Theater did an all-white production of Hairspray because, according to the president of the theater's board of directors, Daryl Roddenbaugh, no black actors auditioned, and they weren't about to bow to political correctness and deny the actors a chance to do such a fun show. He also added that he wouldn't personally object to all-white versions of The Wiz or To Kill a Mockingbird. Now, if you're as shocked by this as I am, we are certainly not alone. The onstage blog back in 2017 addressed Hairspray specifically when it came to all-white casting. Chris Peterson, the founder and editor-in-chief of the onstage blog, brought up the point that this type of casting was actually all right with the creators of the show. And here is a letter that they crafted specifically for those productions that used actors whose race was different from the characters they were portraying. Here's how it reads. Dear audience members, when we, the creators of Hairspray, first started licensing the show to high schools and community theaters, we were asked by some about using makeup in order for non-African Americans to portray the black actors in the show. Although we comprehend that not every community around the globe has the perfectly balanced makeup, pardon the pun, of ethnicity to cast Hairspray as written, We had to, of course, forbid any use of coloring of anyone's face, even if done respectfully and subtly, for it is still, at the end of the day, a form of blackface, which is a chapter in the story of race in America that our show is obviously against. Yet we also realize to deny an actor the chance to play a role due to the color of his or her skin would be its own form of racism, albeit a politically correct one. And so, if the production of Hairspray you're about to see tonight features folks whose skin color doesn't match the characters, not unlike how Edna has been traditionally played by a man, we ask that you use the timeless theatrical concept of suspension of disbelief and allow yourself to witness the story and not the racial background or gender of the actors. Our show is, after all, about not judging books by their covers. If the direction and the actors are good, and they had better be, you will still get the message loud and clear, and hopefully have a great time receiving it.
the, the whiz just makes no sense to me. It, 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 <laughs> I mean, it's yeah, like like hairspray is is in and of itself, and I'm like, okay, I kind of see what the creatives are talking about, but the whiz just makes no sense. It's like there the, the, there is there is literally a white version and a black version of this. So, <laughs> yeah, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Because the same is true for hairspray. You, I, I think you couldn't do an all black cast either. It 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 needs it needs that diversity. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, and and what's interesting is that once I read your article, your your blog post, then I started kind of researching more because, as you mentioned, Porgy and Bess and all these other productions have happened with all white cast, and then I happened to come upon the fact that those creatives just in the last couple of weeks have reversed that decision and they're saying, okay, no, you cannot do all white cast. It needs to be a segregated cast in order to tell this story. And, and so it made me wonder, I mean, the timing of it's certainly very interesting because race is very prominent right now, but was this a journey over the last several years of them realizing, okay, we need to open this up? Or was this just a of the moment, okay, we're going to fall in line with everyone else? It, it, it kind of made me wonder the timing of it.
<laughs> yeah, because I think it, it is so important that we put ourselves, our society up to a mirror and, and showcase what's right, what's wrong, what's not working, what needs to be fixed and, and fix those things. I, of course, that's important. But hopefully in that journey, and you know, as you said, we, we've been here many times over the last several years, that it stops being a moment and, and begins to be a movement. It begins to be something that is, it's just how we operate, that we don't see it as, well, we can just flow and do whatever. It's like, no, these issues of race matter, whether it's in the moment or whether we've gone through 10 years and there's been no incident. It still needs to be, this is just how we operate. And I think, and I hope that that's where theater can get to, that it becomes more of their default of realizing, yes, these voices need to be heard, and we don't need someone telling us to do it. Right?
Yeah. In your own personal writing, then, what does what does success look like, and what right now holds you back from that success? Whatever that means, yeah.
<laughs> right? Well, I certainly have no doubt that Chris's future is bright and he has a long road ahead of him as a writer, as a playwright, screenwriter, whatever he puts his mind to. But I was struck by one of his answers when I asked what's holding him back. And the first thing he said was, I'm a 21-year-old black man. And my hope is that as his career continues to flourish and grow, that that will no longer be something that holds him back. The color of someone's skin should never hold anyone back from the career they want to have, from the art that they want to create, from the life that they want to live. And I am sure that the writings and the messages, the stories that Chris will be telling will be a strong voice for those who have been unheard and unseen so far. To watch, read, and learn more about Chris's writings, you can look for links in the show notes or go to the website, whyillnevermakeit.com, for that information. Also, while you're there, you can donate to the podcast and further my efforts in bringing more stories like Chris's to the forefront. Thank you so much for joining me and Chris today. This was an important conversation, an honest conversation, and if it spoke to you at all, I would love to hear about it. Share that story with me on the website through the contact form, as well as share this episode with anyone who you think could benefit from Chris's story. Stay tuned for the next episode when Chris answers the final five questions, and until then... I'm your host, Patrick Oliver-Jones, reminding you that the reasons for not making it may be arbitrary and frustrating, but the reasons to keep going are even more numerous and rewarding. Join me again next time as we talk more about why I'll never make it.
Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.